everybody, welcome to the Eastside Agent Podcast, hosted by Cleveland Street Mortgage. I'm your host, Chris Buteau. In this podcast, we try and get hyper-local, just talk about you know, hyper-local and hyper-current. Talk about what's happening in this marketplace right now. We're going to talk a little bit about real estate um, and you know, just very anecdotally talk about things that are going on, uh, properties that have hit the market, properties that are maybe stagnating a little bit. Um, talk about plays that are working. What are different you know, realtors using? Sometimes maybe we'll bring in mortgage as well as that. Um, but what are they using? What kind of um, what kind of plays are working to gain clients to get uh, you know, buyers and sellers to look to them to provide uh, professional real estate services? Um, we'll talk about interest rates. You know, what are interest rates doing? And then we'll kind of finish it up with uh, just kind of my favorite fantasy, which is uh, growing grapes someday. Um, so anyway, let's you know, start off with kind of the hyper hyper local market, and we're going to start out here um, with this uh, this property in Northwest Bothell. You know, here's kind of this little tiny image. Here's kind of the center of Bothell. This property is located here. You know, very attractive neighborhood. You know, not the most attractive part of Bothell. You're getting up a little farther north. Um, you know, there's a lot of you know people that like to live in kind of close to town. You know, high high level of walkability, but very nice property. Very nice neighborhood. Um, this property was listed on May 4th for 850000 Now, it, um, it, it's somewhat dated. It was built in 1979, really hasn't been updated. It's got the Formica countertops, uh, the older carpet, the vinyl floors. Um, the lot size is about 7,500 square feet, but good bones. You know, good bones, 2,000 square foot home, 2,084 square foot home. But it sat on the market at 850. Not a lot of activity. That was on May 4th. On June 8th, there was a price reduction from 850 to 800, and then on June 10th, uh, this property went under contract. So you know we have a we have a market. Anything that's priced right is going to sell. You know that that seems you know sort of like a you know tautology. Of course, if you price something low enough, it's going to sell. Um, but but really, we still have a fairly active market. We still have relatively low inventories. It is growing a little bit. Um, inventory is growing a little bit. Uh, it, it, this was the um, latest period in which inventory hit a bottom, uh, which you know typically in, inventory hits bottom kind of in January and then starts to rise as more people you know put houses on the market. Um, this inventory cycle didn't hit bottom till kind of early in April, and it's starting to rise again. So if you're a buyer, keep your eyes on that. Um, but things are selling. You know things are selling. There isn't still a ton of inventory out there. Um, and there's still buyers out there buying. Um, the next property I'm going to show you, this is a different one, very close kind of regionally. You can see it's kind of the same area, different city, Kenmore property. But this was a rehab. You know, this was an investor rehab property. It was, you know, it was, it was previously occupied as is. So it's inhabitable, um, maybe not financeable because, you know, the subfloors were, you know, were needing replacing. And, and you know, so there, there was a lot of, uh, of work that needed to be done this. You may have you know, squeezed it by on a conventional loan, but probably a little bit risky to go into it with that. Listed at 550, you can see it was 1,340 square foot. And uh, originally listed on June 8th at 550 with a review date of the 13th, uh, which was a Tuesday. Um, on June 8th, uh, 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 investor made a cash offer sight unseen for 560, so $10,000 over list. And that offer was set to expire on Saturday. So the property was held open on Friday. Nobody came. Nobody came to the open house on Saturday. Five people came to the open house. And by the end of the day, um, 
Saturday, the seller accepted the cash offer that came in on the initial day of the listing. So good marketing strategy, um, you know, went a little bit above list, uh, left it open long enough to kind of test the water, see if there's other people out there who wanted to, to bid it up higher. And then ultimately you know, got a great sale, cash offer, short close, um, all really well. Um, and then finally kind of, you know, here, here's maybe, you know, kind of an aging listing. Um, this is, as you can see, beautiful view here. It's a Seattle condo uh, in the Belltown, really um, you know, hip area. But this one has, has, has languished a bit on the market. Came on April 13th, listed at 1.155. Um, on May 5th, there was a price reduction down to 1.055. And then in June, there was seller concessions that were explicitly offered for, you know, two one buy downs or other uses that a buyer might want to make of that. And uh, speaking with the listing agent on this one, you know, one of the problems that, that Seattle's having with this type of condos, there are 30 comparable units in the market right now for sale and about three per month have sold. And so you can just do the math, you know, that's a 10 month absorption rate um, for this type of condo. So, so you know, if you're, if you're selling in, in this specific market, you might have to get aggressive on pricing to make that work. Um, plays that worked. Uh, one of the things you know, I listened to a podcast. Uh, I think it was Tom Ferry podcast. Maybe uh, may have been Real Estate Rockstars. I can't remember which one it was. But they talked about doing an equity review. Now this is not something in and of itself that's that's revolutionary. You know, people do that all the time. But but um, you know this agent was just emphasizing in this market. He's using this opportunity to contact all of his past clients in his database, and everybody should be doing that. You should have a database. You should be contacting all your past clients. Um, certainly no less than annually, but maybe even more frequently that check in, how you doing? Um, I've recently started doing that myself and, you know, I've always, you know, I've always had the same sort of internal voice saying, don't be so salesy, don't be pushy, but really people are happy to have you talk to them, you know, particularly if they had a good experience with you, they're happy to reconnect. It's okay that they know that you want, you know, that you need business, you need to grow and you're just checking in with them. It's a great time to do that. But uh, he contacts past database, does a real, you know, does offers an equity review. It's not a full CMA, but it's an opportunity to get in front of people. Of course, the people who are going to do that are mostly people who at least have some sense that they may sell, you know, in, in the nearest future. Uh, but he's not limiting that to past clients. He's doing it, offering it at open houses. Any open house he's sitting, if people come through, they have a house to sell, offers to do, you know, an equity review. Even puts it out there on YouTube ad. Let me do an equity review um, for you. And uh, in fact, had a, a deal in closing from a YouTube ad that uh, was you know, somebody never knew before attracted through that. So that seems to be something that that's working um, on the economic front. Interest rates what's happening there today. Um, today, the Fed announced a pause in their Fed funds rate hike. This is the first pause that they have um, announced since they started raising rates a little bit over a year ago. Uh, but the analysts are, are calling this kind of a hawkish pause. Now, hawk, hawkish means that, you know, it's, it, it means that we're really looking for future interest rate, um, increases. And you would think that if they've been raising rates for a year and then they pause it, maybe we could start to see them going down. But it really was the Fed chair's comments after the announcement that they were going to pause rates for this meeting 
that uh, that really made people think that there's more coming. Um, you know, that people expect a couple of more increases throughout the end of this year, and then and then significant decreases as we go into the following year. You know, right now what we're what we're seeing, um, you know, when you look at the ten-year treasuries, the yields on the shorter term are higher than the yields on the longer term. And basically that is what they call an inverted yield curve. Usually to borrow longer term, you have to pay a little bit more interest because lenders are committing to you for a long period of time and they need to hedge that commitment in case their cost of money goes up in the meantime. And so typically you're going to see a higher rate. When when investors expect rates to come down, that yield curve gets in, gets inverted. Higher, shorter term, longer, you know, lower, longer term. And you're seeing that right now, you know, on the, on the treasury yields right now. And the other thing that's relevant about that is there's never been a time in history when an inverted yield curve has not predicted a recession. That's just, that's just the facts. That's just the reality. And, and that's, you know, that, that's not news to most people. Most people have been expecting that, you know, is it going to be a hard one? Is it going to be a soft landing? You know, there, there's a lot of room for debate on that, but I think virtually everyone agrees for it. That that is the case, and the Fed's kind of counting on that. They're 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 kind of counting on that to slow down the inflation rate. That's what this was all about all along. They can't afford for the inflation rate to get out of hand. And the other element of that is, you know, today, yesterday, consumer price numbers came out, and the consumer price index comes out monthly. That's one of the most closely watched inflation indices, and it shows inflation cooling, but not fast enough. And I think that's part of the reason why the Fed is is sort of hedging their bets in and stating that you know yes we're pausing now but uh, you know but but that doesn't mean we're stopping that doesn't mean it's over um, and so inflation numbers but the other thing too is job the job market's still pretty hot you know jobs are still being created the rate of increase of wages is slowed down and that's going to be somewhat encouraging to the fed but as long as the number of jobs you know job creation numbers unemployment numbers are such that they the fed feels like there's a risk of undersupply of laborers in the market which gives them tremendous pricing power, which creates inflationary pressures um, in the economy. I think that that's one of the reasons why they're they're keeping the future increases on the table for now. So as long as the jobs market starts to decline and or at least shows a little more weakness than it has shown or continues on that trajectory, we might see the Fed kind of back away from that and start to to project that this is going to be over and we're going to start to see the interest rates kind of bottom out. And then if we did go into a recession, then you might start to see them lower that. Now, how does that translate into mortgages? Well, you know, that's that's a very deep and detailed conversation beyond my expertise. Um, but one of the things you do see is there, there's a typical spread between the 10-year treasury and a 30-year mortgage rate. And that typical spread, I think it runs between one and a half, you know, to, to, to two points, you know, is, is a t- typical spread. And what we're seeing now is 1.75 or 2.75 to 3.25 points spread, which means that if the 10-year treasury yield is 3.5, then the 30-year mortgage is 6.75. Now, normally, if we had normal spreads, that 30-year fixed rate would be a point or more lower than what we're seeing now. Now, what does cause this increased spread? Well, there are several things that have caused this increased spread. One of the things is, is just volatility. This is a very volatile market with, um, you know, traders are very sensitive to what's the latest Fed's interpretation of the data. Is inflation rising? Is it cooling? Are jobs too strong? Are they weak? Is the housing market? 
And so we've seen a very volatile, and then throw into that, we had the, um, you had the debt ceiling issue that was going on, and it creates a lot of volatility. It means the market is very reactive to whatever the latest news is, and that makes it very expensive for lenders to hedge their loans. When they offer to lend you a 30-year fixed rate and they lock it in for 30 days, they can't deliver that loan to Fannie and Freddie for 15 days after they close it or 30 days after they close it. And that period of time is the time that they're risking. They've fixed their price 30 days before closing, but they're not delivering that for sale into the market until maybe 45 days after they locked you in. And the market could be vastly different, so they have to hedge that. They pay somebody else to absorb that risk, so they're not absorbing all of that risk. And, the, and that cost goes up in a volatile market. That's just the nature of things. When things are volatile, the cost of hedging is greater because the potential risk is greater. Um, the other thing, there's economic certain, uh, uncertainty also increases the premium. You know, when you are lending, when you're buying a 10-year treasury, you're, you're borrowing, you're lending directly to the U.S. government. And the U.S. government, recent events notwithstanding, has never defaulted on on their debts. And so that, that loan to the U.S. government in the form of a treasury bond is considered almost risk-free. And, and so anything that that is outside of the U.S. government has some element of risk. So mortgages are financed by mortgage-backed securities. They're issued by Fannie and Freddie. They're backed by mortgages. And they're implicitly guaranteed, but not explicitly by the federal government. And so there is an element of risk there beyond what is present when you borrow in a 10-year um, treasury from the U.S. government or you lend to the U.S. government directly. And so there's a risk premium associated with that. Borrowers or lenders who are lending in the form of buying these mortgage-backed securities know that there's risk associated with that. And the more volatile an economy is, the more, the, the, the more challenging an economy is, the greater those risks are, the greater potential for loss. And so there's going to be, there's going to be a premium. The other thing that volatility does you know, it, it beyond just the hedging cost, you know, when you have volatile interest rates, it increase hedging. The other thing volatility does, it increases the premium that investors in these mortgage-backed securities are going to charge is because, you know, when you invest in a mortgage-backed security, what can happen there is if, let's say that right now we're, you know, our interest rates are in the high sixes, low sevens, and you invest in mortgage-backed securities that are backed by those high sixes and uh, you know, high sixes and low sevens, and that's your return on investment. But what happens next year when interest rates go down? Those people in that mortgage-backed security start to refinance, and your return on that mortgage-backed security is tied to the actual mortgages in that pool. And so the more volatility you have, even over a longer period of time, creates that runoff risk where, where you think you're investing in something that's going to yield you 7% or 6%, but really those people are paying that down and when rates go way down, let's say they go down back in the fours or the five next year, a lot of those people are going to refinance out of that. And then that long-term investment that it thought you had at 7% is no longer paying that at all. You're getting that back and you have to reinvest it at lower rates. That's not true of the treasury bills, but that's, you know, so that's what happens. That spread goes up when there's that risk of runoff. And it works in reverse too. Like, what if rates do go down? You know, what if, excuse me, what if rates go up? Well, now you're stuck. You've made that long-term investment in that bond, but now rates have gone up and you want that money back so that you can invest it in the higher rate environment, but you can't do that. Or you can, but, but you're paying, you know, you're paying for the loss of the value of your lower rate mortgage-backed security at the time. So all of that creates a spread between 
what the 10-year treasury is trading at and what a 30-year fixed rate mortgage is. And right now that spread is extremely higher than it has been historically. As we see the market calm down, and this is going to be a little bit of a chicken and egg thing because you know, if rates come down, that means more volatility. But, but as the market calms down and there's less volatility in the market, that premium should come down. That spread should come down back to normal kind of ranges. Hopefully we'll see that. And that even if all other things were equal, bringing that spread back down to normal ranges would, would significantly lower interest rates. Last thing is just kind of my, um, my fantasy uh, growing grapes. Uh, you know, someday I'd like to, to grow grapes. It's, it's a fantasy. It's fun to learn about. Um, whether it ever happens or not, I won't say it's irrelevant, but it's but it's not important to me just enjoying the process. Um, Learn something today that you know Canada actually has a fairly robust wine industry, um, and and the the heart of that is the North Okanagan area, kind of just north of the um, Canada uh, the U.S. border, and. Um, they, they grow, of course, it has a much shorter growing season. It's not like Napa or any of those er other areas, you know, in California where they have the extremely long growing season or even Walla Walla in Washington where they have those longer growing seasons. It's, it's colder. So the types of grapes they grow are going to be different. Um, those are, they're, they're going to grow in a more concentrated season. But a couple of things that, that really benefit, you know, this, of course, Canada is at the northern latitude. And that northern latitude means they have long hours of sunshine in the growing season because they're so far north. So they have longer hours of sunshine. And then you have that high latitude also creates, you know, what, what they call a diurnal shift, a large diurnal shift, which means the difference between the warmest part of the day and the coldest part of the day. And that allows grapes to ripen more slowly, and it just benefits those grapes to be there. Um, cool weather in winter, or the cold weather in winter, also means they go through a full dormancy period. And that's necessary for the grapevine's life cycle. It just makes those grapevines more, um, more robust. And then, of course, you know, they have the coastal mountain range. They have, the, you know, the Cascade Range here um, in Washington, which which uh, protects us from the coastal rains and that just you know it it protects them from getting over wetted you know during the winter and so um great wineries in that in canada um I, they, they tend to be whites you know there are a couple of reds that they can produce in those shorter seasons as well um i think uh, cab franc and, and merlot maybe but most of them tend to be you know whites riesling pinot noir pinot gris um chardonnay and uh, yeah, talked to one of my you know one of my friends, future former clients, is the um, vice president of food and beverage at a large luxury resort um, property owner throughout throughout uh, internationally, and uh, he was really high on those wines. He was actually visiting one of their properties right now, really high on those wines. So anyway, that's it. There you go.